Thanks, Daniel. Well, my name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and again, it's a joy for me to welcome all of you here. I uh, was in New York last week, Sunday. I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral at their 8 o'clock service, so I have some interesting ideas for our next building. Um, <laughs> no, it's a little different, but it was great, but this is, this is home. I want to start with a statement that uh, I, I think is safe to say. I think it's true that we've all, at one time or another, made foolish purchases, We've all bought something that when we paid for it, when we got it, when we ordered it, we thought, this is fantastic. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be wonderful. And then we get it and we realize it's not so hot, right? I mean, we've all made those kind of things. Maybe you were up late uh, and, and watching TV and an infomercial, uh, an infomercial came on and you realized that somebody had come up with the greatest idea ever, that is the, uh, yeah, picnic pants. Let's go back to that just a minute. The picnic pants, right? I mean, you, you, you just, anywhere you go, you can have a table. You just wear these, sit down, cross your legs, and, and you have picnic pants. And so you ordered them, and when they came, you realized you would never, ever put those on. For some of you, maybe uh, it was the uh, emergency mustaches, um, you know, sealed for extra freshness, a six-pack, because you never know when you're going to need a mustache. The next one might be tempting. Some of you may actually own one of these, but it's the dipper. Maybe somebody bought the dipper, solving that age-old problem of how do you get your Oreo completely into the milk without getting milk on your fingers? There you go, friends. Get the dipper. You can put it in and take it out, completely dip cookie without milk on your fingers. Or maybe, maybe you bought one of those, uh, well, shower noses, thinking that it would be really fun to get your soap and shampoo from somebody's nose. We've all made foolish purchases. Maybe you bought a pet rock at one time or whatever it is. We've all made foolish purchases. A lot of times there's silly things like that, right? This time of the year you might have done something. You might be giving a Christmas gift that you're going, it's going to be on Ron's screen next year. Uh, But, you know, we've all made foolish purchases like that, but we've also had times where we've probably made foolish purchases and maybe bad investments some bigger things. Maybe we've bought some stocks that we felt like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. We are going to make so much money. And then it turns out that uh, it doesn't go up, it goes down. Or we invested in real estate. It might have been land, it might have been a house, it might have been a building, but we invested our money in that, quite sure that we were going to walk home with a handful of cash. But again, in reality, it ends up dropping down through our hands. We've all made bad investments. We've all made foolish purchases. We've all done that probably at one time or another. Again, some of us may be in bigger situations than others. But I want you to feel better about yourself this morning because what I want to tell you is that not one of us here today has made a purchase as foolish as the purchase of Jeremiah that we're told about in Jeremiah 32. Because let me tell you, this was perhaps the worst of all time. Uh, set up the situation in order to understand why this was such a crazy purchase, why this was such a silly thing to do, why this was so foolish. Uh, we need to understand a bit of the situation. So Jeremiah was a prophet in Judah, okay? Uh, the, the kingdom of Israel, some of you know, is, is divided into two kingdoms, uh, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And by the time we get to Jeremiah, which is just kind of starting at the year 600 or so before Christ, 600 years before Christ, um, by that time, Israel is basically gone, okay? Babylon is come, and, and, and basically everything around Judah is controlled by Babylon, all right, and, 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 and Judah has a level of freedom, but it's not very much, because the Babylonian Empire, let's give some perspective here, the Babylonian Empire is huge, and where we've got is Judah is just down in this little corner here, okay, 
And, and, and so part of what happens is Jeremiah comes along and he says, you've got to understand something. Judah, you're going to become part of the Babylonian Empire, okay? They're going to come in. He starts off and he says, they're going to come in and they're going to, this is God's will. This is the way it's supposed to be. And they're going to be here for a time. That's where Jeremiah starts. It's not a great message. The people were not really excited about hearing this. But Jeremiah's message to Judah, kind of three things. First, Babylon is here for a while. It's God's will. It's, it's the way it's supposed to be. So what I want to challenge you to do is just live in peace with the situation. Pray for peace for the city in which you live. Right? Take, just, if this is the way it's going to be. Just relax and, and be faithful to God in this. And then wait for God. Hey, wait for God. Waiting is not easy. Waiting is not easy for Judah. It's not easy for us. We're going to talk about it more next week. But he says, just wait for God. This was not a popular sermon, okay? This was not a popular message. The leaders of Judah, the people of Judah said, no way. We don't have to do that. And so they responded to Jeremiah with two things. First of all, they put Jeremiah in jail, so to speak. It was really palace arrest, which if you're going to be in jail, you might as well be in the palace. In some ways, what it was was just a a way to control his message, right? You kept Jeremiah inside the palace, then people wouldn't hear all this bad stuff he was saying, all this gloom and doom. And Jeremiah was a very dramatic. He was the weeping prophet. He was dramatic and and all this stuff. And so they just said, dude, you've got to stay in here, okay? So Jeremiah is confined in the palace in Jerusalem. And then the second thing they do is they say, we're not going to wait for God. We're going to set up an alliance with Egypt, okay? We're going to make a pact with Egypt, and and we're going to rebel against Babylon, and we are going to maintain our freedom, okay? And and, and, now Egypt was not as strong as Babylon, but but Judah kind of figured, look, if we can align ourselves with them, if we can ally ourselves with them, then, then Babylon will just back off, all right? So here's kind of what happened. Got Judah down there again in that, that lower left-hand corner, and in Egypt is further down that way. So Judah sends some people down to Egypt, and it says, hey, if we rebel, will you have our back? And Egypt is kind of thinking, yeah, we'd just as soon keep the Babylonians as far away from us as possible. So sure, we'll have your back. So Judah says, go green, right? It's, uh, they become Spartan fans. Go green. We are going to do this. Egypt for us. They're ready to go. They're, they're fi- it's, it's, it's time. We are going to do this. Okay, Babylon hears about it, okay? And Babylon comes to, to Judah and says, uh, seriously, seriously, you're trying to rebel against us? And they said, yeah, well, we got Egypt with us. They said they have our backs. They said they'd take care of us. We got them behind us. And so, so the, the people of Babylon, the, the leaders of Babylon, went to Egypt and said, is that true? Have you aligned yourself with Judah? If, if, are, are, do we have to come and take care of you guys here in your own land? Is that serious? And the Egyptians said, uh, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't even know those guys were going to exit stage left. Okay, we are out of here. We didn't really mean it. No, that, they, they, they made that up. And, and, and so now uh, Judah is there, and it doesn't take long for uh, Judah to say, um, yeah, that was not a good idea. So, so Babylon is there, and, and at this point what Judah kind of wants to do is to say, can we go back to what it was before? We promise we'll be good this time. We promise that we won't be bad this time. But Babylon needs to teach him a lesson. You don't rebel. And so Babylon does what Babylon does, right? Babylon brings the hammer. And that's kind of where we are in Jeremiah 32. <laughs> okay, that's kind of where we are at this point. The hammer is right above Judah there, 
And everybody knows what's going to happen. There's no question what's going to happen. Babylon is going to pound Judah into submission, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to wipe out all the city, all the, all the temple, everything. They're going to just crush it. They, you know, again, Judah had a situation they could have had some level of independence, some level of staying in the land. But now along comes Babylon. They said, we're going to crush your cities, and then we are going to take your people, and we are going to spread you all over the place, all right? We are going to just bring you all over the place. So that's what's going to happen. But in chapter 32, this is where we are. The hammer is coming down, okay? It's right on the edge of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 32, verse 1. If you got your Bibles with you, this is, what the, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah, the prophet, was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. So he was in Jerusalem. Let's go to our map here again. We've got to basically, again, this area, this, I don't know what color that is. It was supposed to be pink, but it didn't turn out right. But anyway, they're there. That's Judah. And, and again, this is up here where Jerusalem is, and that's where Jeremiah is. He's there. And the armies of Babylon are besieging Jerusalem, okay? Uh, this is now just saying, look, we, you knew we were in control. Now we are going to crush, okay? That's where we are. That's, that's what we are in the story. And now, now comes the time for the deal of the century or the worst deal of the lifetime. Because what happens is Jeremiah is there. He's in the, the courtyard of the palace, right? He's hanging out, and, and, and the armies are coming closer. And he's got a cousin, a cousin by the name of Hanamel. And Hanamel and uh, Jeremiah had grown up together. They were both from this place called Anathoth, this little village called Anathoth. Um, and, 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 and so they had lived together, grown up together. And Hanamel is in Jerusalem, and he comes to Jeremiah. And he says, you know, I've always liked you. You were always my favorite cousin, which probably wasn't true because Jeremiah was just a fruitcake, okay? I mean, he was nuts. But, you know, Hanamel says, I've always liked you. And, you know... Our family has that field, you know the one with the brook that runs alongside of it? Our family has that field in Anathoth, and I know your family has always wanted it, okay? I know you always have, and, and I mean, again, the assessment is 30 shekels. It's a great piece of property, and we've always said no, but you know what? Because I like you, Jeremiah, because I like you, 17 shekels, buddy. What do you think? 17 shekels for this field, which is really worth at least 30 what do you say? It's a one-time deal. It's going to be over soon. Jeremiah, this is what, he sa- this is what the, the text says. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. They were in the same family so he could buy it. So go ahead and buy it. Five years earlier, ten years earlier, this might have been a great deal. Might have been a fantastic deal, but let me show you something. It's Jerusalem. That red area is where all the armies of, of the Babylonians are. Anybody want to guess where Anathoth is? Yeah. Yeah, it's right there. 
I mean, Hanamel's coming along thinking Jeremiah's dumb enough to buy a field that they can't go check out. Jeremiah can't get there because the armies of Babylon are camped on this field. <laughs> the, the people know everybody's going to be gone. Jeremiah himself is going to escape down to Egypt. Others are going to be brought to Babylon. But nobody's ever from Judah going to touch that piece of property, at least not of this generation. <laughs> and, 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 and so what, what Hanamel is trying to say is, is can, I buy a, can I sell you a piece of property on the moon? <laughs> You know, yeah, fine, so you do. I can't get there. I mean, that's what this was like. It was completely impossible for Jeremiah to ever get there. It was completely impossible for anything like that to happen. And, 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 and so I tell you this, only a complete and utter fool would take a deal like that. Of course, Jeremiah says, sure, I'll buy it. So I, brought the f- I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. Stupid, stupid, stupid. It's just foolish. I mean, this is investing in, in trains when cars had already clearly been invented. This is just throwing your money down the drain. Jeremiah made one of the most foolish purchases of all time. And there's really just one question, why? Why would he do this? Why do you buy a piece of property you're never going to... And Jeremiah never set foot on that property. I tell you this, okay? Jeremiah never set foot on a property. Kids didn't set foot on that property. Why buy a piece of property that you can't get to? Why buy a piece of property that, in a sense, this guy doesn't even own anymore? I mean, he had a deed to it, but the Babylonians owned it. It was not... It was not Hanamel's to sell anymore. There was only one reason why he did it. There's only one reason why he did it. Because Jeremiah dared to believe in the promises of God. Because Jeremiah dared to believe that God was not done. You see, God had come and said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to let Babylon have their way, and and the people are going to be wiped out, and the cities are going to be destroyed. But I tell you this, one day, one day... I'm going to come back. One day I'm going to make it right. One day I'm going to settle things up. So buy that property, not because it's going to be any good for you today or tomorrow or the next day, but someday down the road, someday down the road, Jeremiah says this, for this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, and vineyards will be again bought in this land. And he says to the people, he says, you know what you're saying about this city By the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. And that's true, okay? It's right. That's what's going to happen. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I will surely gather them. I'm going to gather these children from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. And they will be my people. And I will be their God. You see, that's why Jeremiah bought that piece of property. And that's why, in reality, it really wasn't one of the most foolish. It just looked like so foolish. But you see, it didn't make sense unless you add God into the equation. Unless you dare to believe that God says, just trust me, Jeremiah, you will walk on that land. Not you, but your children's children. Somewhere down the line, they will walk on that land. Because I'm not done. As dark as it is right now, as difficult as it is right now, I'm not done. And one day... One day, this will be a place of peace and safety. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. Weird story. What does it teach us? 
What do we do with this? And especially during Advent. What does this have to do with the birth of Jesus? Two lessons for us. The first is this, and this has got to be at the core of who we are. We are invited by God, by Jeremiah. We are called to be people of hope. We are realistic about the brokenness of this world. We are realistic about the pain and the suffering and the fears and the worries that we carry. And it hurts, and that's real. But when we are at our wit's end, when we believe and when we feel like the pain will never end, and some of you are in that place right now, where you're experiencing a pain, loss of a child, loss of somebody you care about, but you're experiencing a pain, but you feel like it's never going to end, it's never going to get better, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. When we know things are completely messed up, when we know how wrong the world is, when we know, when we are deeply aware that we want things to be different, we talked about being wanting things last week, and we'll come back to that, but when we are at that moment, when we are at that place where it's darkest, when the Babylonians are at the doorstep, when we know things are not going to get better, We can dare to believe. We can dare to believe the promises of God that God says, I will make all things new. And we hold on to that. And we dare to hold on to that in the face of overwhelming odds. We dare to hold on to that in the face of a world that has every right to say, you're foolish to believe, you're foolish to hope. This isn't the way it is. What happens in the real world, Ron, is that people die, and they're gone, and we never see them again. And I said, it's not true, because my God, my God is not done with this world. My God is not done with this world. He's promised to make all things new. And Jeremiah wants us to know that he's powerful enough to do it. There's no power in hell on earth. There's no power in heaven. There's nothing that can stop our God from doing what he has promised to do. And we need to be people who live with that hope. We need to be people who say, I don't care what you tell me about reality. I don't care what you tell me about how bad things are. I don't care that you tell me it's going to get worse. Okay, it hurts, okay? Don't, don't hear me wrong. Hear me right. It hurts, and it's painful, and we weep, and we cry. But I know this, my God, my God can do this. Jeremiah says this, thirty-two seventeen. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Those words. Nothing is too hard for you. Some of you are making a jump in your head. Because those are Christmas words. See, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had an angel come to her in in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And this angel says to Mary, Oh, excuse me here, I'm sorry. I've got to go to this first, all right? Um, a season to hope, okay? We'll come back to those words. Hang on to them. Getting ahead of myself. It's hard to wait, but that's next week, so I don't have to know how to wait today. Again, today, it's, it, we do this in Advent, okay? Advent is a season where part of what we do is we face the darkness of this world. That's why last week we started with talking about wanting, Okay? We started talking about wanting. We started talking, Daniel talked about how broken the world is and persecution and pain and, and, and people have walked away from the Lord who we care about and, and so much struggle and cancer and all these things that are wrong. And I think part of what we've got to do is, again, take some time not to run away from those things. For some people, what Advent, what Christmas is all about is saying, well, we get to forget all the pain of the world for a little while. 
No. No, we stare it in the face. And we own it and we say it stinks and it's rotten. And there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Some of us spent some time last week at the trial of the young guy who, who drove the car that killed Tara Oskim. And it just wounds and pain and suffering all throughout that courtroom. So much hurt and pain. And we got to know that want. Because then we sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. But we also need to be people who hold on to hope. We say we can look darkness in its face. We can see darkness at its darkest, at its blackness. But we'll say, our God is able. Our God is able to do this. And so one of the things I want you to do, one of the exercises I want you to do, is, is I want you to remind yourself this week. Just take your some time, okay? Take some time and remind yourself that God can do anything. Remind yourself that no matter what you're facing, God is bigger than that enemy. And he might not solve it in the time we want. He might not do it in the way we want. But one day, he will make all things new. And he's big enough to do that. I said that was a Christmas. Now, this is where we got to get to Luke. The angel comes to Mary and and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she says, you know, I don't know if you understand how it works here. (laughs) It might be different with you angels. But you see, how can this happen? How will this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel says, we're not that dumb. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And look, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant, has also become pregnant with a son in her old age. Although she was called barren, she is now in her sixth month. And then Luke one thirty seven: for nothing is impossible with God. Right? Same thing Jeremiah said. I'm going to buy property when I know it's going to be taken away because nothing is impossible with God. I'm going to dare to hold on to hope, even though everything in the world tells me it's going to be, get darker and it's going to get worse, it's going to get more painful. I will hold on to hope because nothing is impossible with God. Because my God is big enough to make all things new. And friends, that's what we live by. That's what we hold to. That's what we dare to believe. In some ways, it's foolish. It's like buying property on the moon. But you know what? That moon belongs to God. And our kids belong to God. And one day he will make all things new. So remind yourself of that. When you find yourself struggling, when you find yourself facing the difficulty, just remember nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. We have a God who became human, who gave up all of that, who has the power now through his death and resurrection to make all things new. So this week, spend some time. Spend some time just reminding yourself that God can do anything. Let that bring you hope. And then also, I would encourage you to reflect on what it's going to be like. On on what it's going to be like when everything is made new. You know, I look at some of you who have buried kids. You know how much fun it's going to be? I know it hurts and it it does. There's no way around it. We get to hold them again. We get to wrap our arms around them. And be together with them. Someday we're going to do that. Someday we're not going to have to worry about cancer or divorce. Someday all those relationships that are broken and hurting and full of pain are going to be restored. And think about what that's going to be like. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was born. So that he could bring in that world. And that's why we celebrate this time. Because it is a time of hope that God has broken in. The, The darkness was in charge. But the light has come. 
and the darkness will not overcome the light, right? That's the promise of Christmas. There is hope. And so we are invited. We are called. We are commanded. Dare to hope, okay? Not foolishly, not in yourself. But dare to know that our God, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for him. He can change hearts. He can make us new. He can restore all things. And one day he will. And then there's a second lesson I want to touch on just real quickly here. In the couple of weeks we have before Christmas, I want to invite you to do something crazy. We're invited to do crazy things in the name of God because we're people who live out of a different kingdom, right? Jeremiah did not just look at what was in front of his face. He did not just invest in things that made sense from a human perspective. But he saw the other day. He saw not just tomorrow or the next, but he saw someday. And he lived out of someday. And he bought this field out of someday. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to do that. I mean, in some ways, when you buy a child a present through Angel Tree, you don't know the kid. Kid will probably break the toy. Really, seriously, let's be honest, okay? Kid will probably break the toy. She say, but I'm living out of the kingdom, you see? I'm not living out of today. I'm not living out of tomorrow. I'm living out of tomorrow. I'm living out of that someday. I'm living out of the kingdom. Some of you are going to go in in six or eight weeks or so, you're going to go down to Cuba. Give up vacation time. You pay money to go teach English as a second language. Not very bright, just telling you. (laughs) Not going to get great return on your investment in this life, but you're not living out of this life, you're living out of the one to come. There are going to be people you're going to run into the next two weeks who are hopeless cases. And everything in your brain is going to say, don't spend any time on them because they're worthless. (laughs) But live out of someday and be just a little bit crazy. Jeremiah bought a field. What are you going to do? Where are you going to invest in a way that you say, you know what? It's not, it's not necessarily something somebody's going to say is great today. But I'm living out of a different kingdom, out of the kingdom that is to come. So this week, spend time on hope. Not denying the darkness, not denying the pain, but holding on to knowing that nothing is impossible with God in one day. All things will be made new. And this little baby reminds us that God is with us. Let's pray together. Father, it's not always so easy for us to uh, hold on to hope. A lot of times we live by what we see. We live by what makes sense in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our old nature. Father, give us a kingdom vision. Remind us, give us hope this morning. Father, I pray especially for those who are deeply struggling, for those who are living in the darkness right now, and, 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 and not just away from you, but in you, but still in a really difficult place. Lord, remind them that the light has come. Remind them that someday the, the sun is going to rise, come back, and someday it's all going to be new. Father, give us that hope and help us to love each other, and your world. Not because it makes perfect sense, but because one day you're going to make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.